listening to Skylight, the Skylight Books podcast. Skylight Books is a general interest bookstore in the Los Feliz neighborhood in Los Angeles. You can shop with us from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. or visit us online 24-7 at skylightbooks.com. Follow along at Skylight Books Instagram and Twitter. You can subscribe to the podcast on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you for listening, and now on to the episode. Hello, my beautiful and lovely listeners, and welcome to Skylit. Some of you, welcome back. This is the Skylight Books Podcast, and I'm your host, Lance Morgan. Today, I'm so excited to welcome Alex Olean to talk about her new book, We Want What We Want. But before we start, I want to remind you that Skylight Books is now currently open, but we are following the mask mandate, so please, please don't forget to bring your mask to the store, but come on by. We also are still available for online ordering on our website, www.skylightbooks.com, where you can uh, do still offering like curbside pickups or in-store pickups at this point now. So check us out online. Alex Olin is the author of six books, including Dual Citizens, which was shortlisted for the the Scotiabank Giller Prize. Her work has also appeared in The New Yorker, Best American Short Stories, and many other places. She lives in Vancouver, where she's the director of the UCB School of Creative Writing, where I will say she's the, our podcast editor, Mick, who's probably listening to this as he edits. She was one of her students, so highly praised. Highly praised at Skylight. Alex, thank you so much for coming on coming on by. And by that, I mean through, is that is that like good Zoom etiquette now to say, come on by, Zoom? <laughs> Come stop by my Zoom. Stop by my Zoom, yeah. you know, open <laughs> an open door. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on your Zoom and on the podcast. I'm really happy to be here. No, I'm so excited to have you in. Um, you have a reading for us today? I do, yeah. I thought I would read a little bit of one of the stories from yes. We Want What We Want. I'm so excited. Okay. Which, if to, to give our readers a preview, which story is it? Because I'm so excited. I love all these stories. Yeah, this story is called Money, Geography, Youth, and it is set in Los Angeles. And um, I was going to read from the beginning, so you don't need any um, explanation or anything of what the setup is. Uh, Perfect. Should I go ahead yeah. and do it now? You're all, all right. good. Yeah. I'll go ahead and start. This is Money, Geography, Youth. Vanessa was home. She repeated the word to herself, tucked into her childhood bed, a twin with a pink comforter that barely covered the reach of her adult body and was somehow all the more comforting for that, hoping that if she whispered it often enough, the place would feel like it was supposed to. In Ghana, she'd slept on a cot in a room with three other volunteers, and when she closed her eyes at night, she fantasized about luxuries she'd once taken for granted, a long shower, a sweating bottle of Arizona green iced tea. Every two weeks when the NGO officer swung by and granted them each 15 minutes of internet access on his laptop, instead of answering emails, she browsed the Instagram accounts of her LA friends, 
gazing at their bright but bleary faces, their arms around drunk friends at parties in the first year of college they were all enjoying. On her own Facebook, she'd quickly post some line about how Africa was changing her life. She felt so grateful and humble, and then she'd log off, hunger unmet. Scrolling back now, she could see that Kelsey's Instagram had been sparser than usual. Just an occasional picture of the beach or her cat, Max. Kelsey wasn't in college either, unlike just about everybody else. But in Ghana, she hadn't been online often enough to notice. Kelsey's emails were pedestrian and stilted. How are you? I am so proud of you for what you're doing. LA isn't the same without you. But she was a terrible writer, always had been. Vanessa had been doing her English homework for her since they were 12 years old. Vanessa's father, by contrast, had sent paragraphs long messages, three or four every time she checked, in which she zoned out while skimming, the same way she zoned out when he talked to her in real life. Still, she was sure there hadn't been any clues. When he picked her up at the airport, her father was dressed in his business uniform, a light gray suit with a blue shirt, no tie. He wrapped her in his arms, telling her she was too skinny but looked great, a mix of contradictory messages as usual, and she felt his stubble scrape against her ear. Also as usual, she felt overwhelmed by his body, his affection, while simultaneously wanting to be held next to it forever. Reflexively, she thought, as she had since her mother left, this is everything I have. This five o'clock shadow, this not completely effective antiperspirant, this forced but genuine joviality, this dad. They were happy to see each other, but still ran out of things to say by the time they hit the 405. So your flights were okay? You already asked me that. Sorry. He tapped his fingers on the steering wheel, smeared his chin with his palm. He seemed keyed up, thrilled to see her, almost too thrilled to speak, which was gratifying. So how's work? She asked. Great, hectic, super hectic, really. Kelsey is a huge help. Kelsey? Oh, right, the internship. She hasn't flaked on you? Her father frowned. Why would you say that? Come on, Dad, you always said yourself she isn't the most reliable person in the Western world. This tick of her father's, always to specify a geographical range, as in, this is the best hamburger in the Western world, used to drive her crazy until she ate at what she'd been told was the best burger place in Accra and thought, you know, he has a point. She meant to tell him this once he laughed in recognition at hearing her use his own pet phrase, but he didn't laugh. Instead, his expression turned serious and he turned his head to look at her for so long that she was about to say, dad, the road. But then he sighed, glanced back at the traffic and said, she's been a godsend which was not a phrase she'd ever heard him use before in her life. So she said nothing. The highway rose and fell, the stutter and swerve of traffic as familiar as her own pulse, and beside it, palm trees and fast food signage poked out from the June gloom. The sunset was ebbing, leaving flashes of neon as its hopeful replacements. She wanted a milkshake, she wanted a taco, she wanted everything ice cold or piping hot, to dip her toes in the ocean, to rinse the gunk from her scalp. As he parked the car in the driveway, her father cleared his throat. There's something I have to tell you, he said, but then didn't say anything. Vanessa had her hand on the door handle, was halfway out of the car saying, tell me inside, because she couldn't wait to see her room, the kitchen with its well-stocked refrigerator 
And so when he said, Kelsey's here, she only thought that he'd done this for her. What a sweet gesture inviting her best friend to welcome her home. And she missed the part, or maybe he mumbled it when he said, we're together. And he had to repeat it on the threshold as she opened the door to the house she used to call home. Kelsey was standing in the foyer, wearing shorts and a hoodie, one foot overlapping the other, and she gave Vanessa a hug and said, I guess he told you I know it's so weird, and held up her hand with the engagement ring. Vanessa thought, if she says, we didn't plan it, it just happened, I'm gonna kill her or myself. It just, Kelsey started, and Vanessa didn't wanna kill anybody, so she interrupted and said, heading for the kitchen, I'm starved. Ooh, wow. Um, and to start our conversation, I want to talk about this story because I just it's it, it's a nightmare. <laughs> this is a <laughs> this is a nightmare of mine. Um, actually, no. Let me be polite first before we start. How are you doing today, Alex? How's your day going? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. How I mean, are you? Has, I'm good. I'm good. I mean, uh, listeners, before we started up, uh, before we started this, we were talking about our love of Billy Crudup. Crudup? Crudup. I think it's Crudup, but I'm not 100% sure. Billy, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. And <laughs> we love you, Billy, we no matter you, how Billy. your name is pronounced. <laughs> know that we are, we love you, Billy. We're currently wearing our Billy Crudup shirts. Um, like, we're just, we have him plastered on our walls. I mean, we have to, right? That's right. Well, it's all, it's all set up for our, um, our planning for our future Billy Crudup podcast, yes, which will be an yes. offshoot of this one. In a hundred percent, it'll be a spinoff, um, deep dive series, <laughs> like a making a murder, but for us, it's making Billy Crudup. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. It's uh, going to be huge. <laughs> it's going to be huge. I'm iHeartRadio, pick us up. We're ready. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, that's, I'm great. I'm happy you're having a great day, but now I want to talk about this deeply unsettling story. <laughs> right. Um, Billy Crudup could play the father in the film version of this story, I think. And I should play the best friend. I'm <laughs> casting myself now. I am marrying Billy. Um, <laughs> Billy, you don't know this yet, but it might be a real engagement. You know, it's fine. It's fine. No, anything can um, happen. Anything can happen. Um, no, this, this story is deeply unsettling, especially for like, I couldn't imagine I mean her reaction is so tame and I mean I feel like yeah she has to take a second before she really processes it but I would leave or fight one of my, <laughs> my two reactions what made you come up with this story like of this just I, I can't even think of the right word for what <laughs> how this makes me feel what made you come up with a specific yeah story? Well, it's, yeah, to me, it's an interesting situation because it's a situation that is, as you say, deeply unsettling and, um, and yet I feel like it's something that you could imagine happening in the sense yeah. that it's, it's also fairly pedestrian. Like you do see mm -hmm. um, middle-aged men who have relationships with, uh, with much younger uh, women. And you have to imagine that those younger women have friends their same age. And what if one of them was his daughter, right? It's not beyond right. the realm of, uh, of things that, that could happen. So I'm, I'm kind of drawn to those things that are like spectacular explosions of the everyday. Mm -hmm. uh, you know what I mean? Like where people blow up their lives or they take some extreme action, but it's still within the realm of what you could imagine happening like within um, 
within the day-to-day -day course of events. And right. I, I, I do think you're right that a lot of people, you know, faced with the circumstances that Vanessa is faced with, you know, they would just flip out or they would scream mm -hmm. and yell or throw crockery or, or, or yeah. leave in a, in a squeal of car tires or whatever. But um, I think in my mind, she's so completely disoriented by the strangeness of the situation that she's sort mm -hmm. of um, shuts down. And then once you don't react in the moment, you're kind of stuck in the situation. Like she just, she was so expecting to go home. Once she crosses the threshold, literally right. into the house, but also like, you know, into the emotional situation, she's sort of unmasked, enmeshed, and it takes her the rest of the story to get herself out of there again. I, and like, it just, this reminds me of like, for some reason, American Beauty comes to mind. Cause that kind of is, you know, a lot of the plot, but like, you know, if it, if it took a dark turn at the end and like, but like, it just, and you're right. There is something very pedestrian about that, about a, a man who uh, like dates younger and, but yeah, it could be your best friend. It, it, it could be. So what I'm saying is listeners, Beware, know your it could, friends. It could happen to you. It could happen to you. <laughs> this is, <laughs> um, no, but all for the entire collection, that one I wanted to talk about a little bit because I was just like, what? <laughs> um, but like the entire collection, I feel like there is this tone you set of like mixing comedy and darkness. Um, pedestrian with uh, fantastic in a way, um, or even just like heightened. Um, what inspired this, or really not inspired this, like brought this through in your work here? I, I'm definitely um, really attracted to that space uh, mm. where. Um, where humor and pain or like um, joking in the face of catastrophe or in uh, in the face of things that are going on. I, I, I really, really attracted to it in the work of other people and, and mm -hmm. also my my own work and I are trying to kind of recreate that that feeling. And I think it's partly because I have a, a fear of melodrama or sensationalism in my own work. So I'm always worried that if I write some big scene where people are emoting dramatically, that it's gonna take a turn into the soap opera. So I find myself undercutting it um, with a joke or, or an aside. And 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 then I, I, I just really um, appreciate that when I encounter it in other places. I think it's a very natural human uh, reflex. And I also think that a lot of humor, you know, just arises out of pain, right? It mm -hmm. comes out of um, our our ways of coping with it. I mean, that's what a lot of jokes are. They're ways of mm -hmm. deflecting trauma or violence. So to me, it's like a, a way of writing about those things, but slightly um, askew or writing in a way that slightly displaces them so that the darkness or the difficulty or the pain or the trauma, it's just under the surface or it's just there off to the side and you know it's there and it's palpable, but it's not like right in your face. And to me, that's a, that's interesting psychologically and it's interesting aesthetically too. This is, you know what, this is my therapist. I should send this to her because she, <laughs> she this all I do is make her laugh. And I'm like, oh, is that, is that a trauma response to yeah. it? So thank give you. Give her for, my number. We'll talk about it. You, please, please, <laughs> please. Maybe she'll figure out what's going on up here because I don't know. Um, no, there's a, and there's this theme too that I see a lot in your stories where people are seeing like other lives that they want. It's like, um, 
it is American Beauty too, in a sense of people like changing. What I'm saying is, I want to watch American Beauty right now. I'm joking. <laughs> um, no, there's a lot of people who are like seeing other lives they could take, other avenues in their life, uh, other things that they want in their lives that they might be like the the mundane everyday uh things are stopping them from and even like themselves like I feel like one thing I saw in a lot of the stories was a character being confronted with something different than what they thought they sh that should be their life and kind of reacting negatively to that was that something you purposely saw sought out there or something that just came out naturally in the stories yeah, I think it's always interesting when you put stories together in a collection and you see um, themes emerge that you didn't realize that you were actively writing toward, but mm -hmm. it's sort of like your your obsessions or your preoccupations right. betray you, right? As yeah. much as you might you might think that you cloaked them in in uh, fiction or that you were working in some radically different form mm -hmm. or or set of ideas, they're nonetheless related, right? A, a short story right. collection is it's like a family where you can see uh, they're not all the same person, but there's a resemblance. There's a family mm -hmm. resemblance across the the story. So I didn't set out to to write about it, but I do think that most of us um, dream uh, of other lives or fantasize about um, other things we might do. And that's a very you know, healthy and informative thing to do actually, because it teaches you something about um, yourself and your areas of, of happiness or unhappiness, right? You don't usually fantasize about aspects of your life in which you're completely satisfied. Yeah. So, you know, those, those, it's like a negative space, you know, reflection of the things that you are, are missing. Um, and I think, that said, it's also extremely hard to make change based on that. Like you could know it and still not enact on it. So you find yourself, yeah, um, thinking about escape because um, we all like, you know, the further you go into your life, the, the further you've like built yourself a cage. And it's not always mm -hmm. a bad cage, but it's, you know, your choices lead you down one set of paths and they rule out another set of paths. So right. I guess for me, I think there's there's an inevitable longing for escape or change or fantasy in human life and um if you indulge it too much it can be pretty pretty messy uh mm -hmm. in the way that it kind of absents you from your actual lived life and so mm -hmm. messy places and missed places and missed opportunities that to me is like really fertile territory for for fiction because that's where you can get into some really interesting kind of thorny thickets um for people and and so that's a space that I often write into. Well, it's also in something that I love about that space too. And I uh, write, when I write my own things, it's something I love to talk about. And one of my favorite things is like family dramas to write about because it's so universal. It's something that everyone in like, anywhere they can they can respond to that like i like i do love a science a sci-fi i do love a uh fantasy novel because like it's fun to escape you're escaping things but i think with those we are confronting things that we we can put ourselves in that character's space and say how how am i kind of sharing the same circumstances this person is and i feel like your novel does a lot of good uh, a lot of good 
circumstances there where it's like showing, oh, what? What would I do if I was in this scenario that I could easily be in? My best friend could marry my dad. Oh God, I hope not. Dad, don't listen to this. Dad, turn this off now. Turn this off now. Um, like um, that would, it would traumatize me and I would not act well, um, but it could happen. The one that I actually really was just like, oh, what would I do with this? Was the one where it's the, um, girl, the woman visiting her, trying to save her cousin from a cult, but she can't figure out if it's a cult. Cause I was just like, what would I, a part of me was like, yeah, this is nice. This is nice. Just like, I, um, I live right by the Scientology building in LA and every time I drive past it and it's, there's like signs that says, are you, are you, um, lost or do you need help? I'm like, I like yes. slowly <laughs> drift my car over like, yeah, that sounds nice. That sounds exactly. nice. I'm like, what if one day I just found myself in there and you know, <laughs> it seems nice, but it's like one of those things too, where it's like every day I joke where I'm like in a joke in quotations that I would love to like find a commune and leave all of this like worldly problems behind and just, yeah, who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to live on a higher plane that is more yeah. spiritual or more simple, where mm. choices are made for you, but in a nice exactly. way? <laughs> you know, right? It sounds the uh, seduction yeah. of a cult. I think you know. I think most of us would not um, join one, but uh, but there's probably. probably I I don't know, but but there. That's not to say that you can't under you can't see why people wouldn't right, right. and and right. what it's offering is a very real response to unmet mm. needs that many of us have are just like, it's very hard to yeah. you know, live life and struggle through through the world. So mm -hmm. yeah, I was, there's a lot of, in the past year, I feel like there have been a lot of cult stories and documentaries. Mm -hmm. There's sort of a lot of cult discourse mm -hmm. going on right now. And there's a lot of, a lot of it is a sort of, you know, shocking and horrible like revelations about the nature of, of some cults. But um, I was sort of interested in what if it was a little bit more of a gray area? You know, right. what if it was a cult that seemed uh, cult cult adjacent, you know, cult-ish, mm -hmm. and that the, the person facing it um, had a harder time deciphering whether or not it was okay for her family member to be integrated in it and sort of found herself starting to understand and perhaps even wanting to participate. To me, that was more interesting than writing a story that was like a clear rescue attempt of someone from right. a place that was um, definitely, you know, bad for them. Right. And there's, I feel like in that, it just like makes it, it reminded me a lot of a TV show I watched, uh, the TV show Better Things. Have you watched that show? No, I don't know that one. It's so amazing. It? Listeners Is Billy Crudup in it? <laughs> I mean, maybe the new season and I'm crossing fingers. Um, no, it's a Pamela, Pamela Adlon and it's like a fantastic uh, show. She's, she's amazing, but it's about, it's just based on her raising her daughters. And a lot yeah. of the show is like, is this the right way to like raise your kids? This is a little mm -hmm. big question. And it like really challenges the way of like, the way to think about like motherhood and parenting mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And I thought a lot about that when I read the story, cause I'm like, yeah, it's challenging a lot of the ways I'm thinking about cult and community and like what that means for and like what that means for not maybe yourself but for someone else who you see who like maybe it's the better place for them maybe they're a better person in this space what I'm saying is I'm joining let me leave this and go to Scientology because it sounds great I hope um, you'll be very happy there <laughs> I think I will I think that's what I was meant to be Tom Cruise leave the door open for me I'm coming um no I no I I mean 
how did you write that one specifically? And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm talking about this one a lot. I just love this one, this story in there. How did you write that one without being seduced by that idea? You know, was there ever a point where you're like, hmm, this sounds nice. <laughs> yeah, well, um, the story revolves around this main cult figure, the guru, and I thought mm. it would be interesting to play with um, kind of subverting or manipulating the trope of the guru. So he's not like someone who wears a robe or, um, you know, um, anoints you with, you know, special um, anointing fluid, whatever you call that. Now right. suddenly just blanked on what it is. So he's, it's called, the story is called the Brooks Brothers Guru. And uh, mm. he, uh, you know, wears chinos and uh, blue button-down shirts and they all all the members of the cult have cocktails and talk about classical music and and literature and it's very sophisticated and and civilized right it's it's sort of um, based on the idea of seducing people to some kind of romanticized vision of mm -hmm. the past and of high culture and things that don't really um, exist anymore in the same way mm -hmm. if they ever did at all. And uh, so I thought um, you, could, you could portray that as being seductive and charismatic mm -hmm. to people, but ultimately uh, in any situation like that, one person, like if the if the community is built around the charisma of one person, there mm -hmm. is going to be a power dynamic there and right. a system of of power or a hierarchy that has the potential to be abusive, and and that's what winds up being hinted at in this story mm -hmm. is that he is in charge, he's manipulative, he's um, it's not an altruistic. Uh, impulse that that he has, but I was trying to keep it all in this very kind of um, gray area, um, right. and and so that at the very end, this this woman who has shown up there, that she could um, she could experience um, going away from the cult as like she could simultaneously be grateful for it that she's not in the cult, but also feel rejected at the same time because I thought that was more complex complex of uh, mm -hmm. a note to, to end on than her simply being like, oh, well, these people are bonkers and I don't want anything to do with them. What if it feels like a loss that she's not right. part of the cult, even though that's better? And I mean, like, I feel like with any kind of group, like it, you've, uh, it, it's, it exists in like it's smaller ways, if that makes sense. Like, like I think of like high school with like mm -hmm. groups you were in, like, theater kids and I say that as an ex-theater kid I'm so sorry to my theater <laughs> theater community um but like there was you know there's like those groups where like a, in a, a high school theater program everyone like exists in this space and sometimes you like if you didn't get the lead in the musical that year you might feel out of that space you're looking in you see the other people who are there and experiencing that but like you're looking you're always looking at you're never like in that and that's what it kind of felt there for me too where it's like yeah do you do you think that she left to find that community herself or do you think that there's like a she's still searching kind of thing I think she's still searching and probably it's going to be a lifelong search as it is for for mm -hmm. many of us and I think right. one thing that interests me is yeah the the simultaneous stability and instability of any community or network like mm -hmm. that, including like the family is a community, families of choice, uh, mm -hmm. the workplace is often a community yeah. like that, the cult in this book and like, and at any given time, there's, um, 
there's the foundational aspect of that and it can mm -hmm. feel very safe and enclosed for her, for you but there can also be the threat of disruption or hierarchy or you know someone being uh, on the inside of it you know moving mm -hmm. to the outside of it like you just described it's right. never um be because of human nature it's always going to be dynamic and mm -hmm. and shifting and and not static and I mean that has a lot to do. A lot of your stories are about that. The the ones with the two girls who are uh, the like ex best friends, were they? Like they were like they were close, and they like keep in correspondence with each other. I feel like that does a lot of good job of showing a great job of showing that uh, people change. Life goes on. Life is an ever moving thing. It doesn't stop. Which you know in itself is a there's a romance, the tragic romance in that. It's like we have these moments that are ephemeral, right? They only exist in our memories and like we keep we keep going on even when we don't want to. It's it's uh it's sad, but it's life. Um, there was no question there. Yeah, no, <laughs> I mean, that's declared to say that. Oh, I love that. No, I, I thought it was really moving what you said. And uh, I love that you described the story as a tragic romance, first of all. But I also mm -hmm. love what you said about things being ephemeral. And um, to me, that that's something that I, I really struggle with in, in mm -hmm. life. And I, I right. also write about in my work is like, mm -hmm. just because something is ephemeral doesn't mean that it's not meaningful. And right. so to write about things that don't last or didn't mm -hmm. last is a way of testifying to that meaning and mm -hmm. um and retaining it for yourself somehow right. even um even though the transience of it can be really hard to to grapple with and i mean like you're the the each short story feels like a moment like that a moment that people want to hang on to and like there are moments that you want to hang on to and i think after reading each one, it I, the the, the um, readers will feel that too. They'll feel like, oh, I'm sad this ended. And I mean, that happens with so many good like books I've read, and those are my favorite kinds. Where I'm just like, I, you know, it's good when you're like, oh, damn, that ended. <laughs> I'm so <laughs> sad now. But like your book, and I mean, your I think it captures that for both the character and the audience of people who will be reading it. Thank you. That's so kind of you to say. And that's that is one thing that I really love about writing short stories is that to me, um, it's a little bit like a song. Like you can read mm -hmm. it in one sitting and then it it lives on in your head. There's a sort of echo mm -hmm. or a chord that can resonate in your in your head for the rest of the day. And right. uh, that's something I love about stories as as a reader and um, mm -hmm. hope to achieve as a writer. And it's it's just like it's a why did the word bite size come into that it's kind of like that but like it's like bite size in the sense of like like I feel like a lot of uh especially in the past year and a half with like people like trying to like people trying to like read but being distracted by things this is more attainable because you're like you're getting you don't have to sit for hours and read this you sit for an hour read a story from there you have it you know that there's more but you can sit with that specific story for a little bit and i think that that's that's so important that's so like necessary in in literature like there needs to be and there i mean longer stories are very important too i love a nice big story that involves me but i also love stories that i can like sit with and after reading like a little bit of for a day and just 
be in that world for a second, like read it and then be in the world and really capture that. And then read more from that same author, read from that same family, as you said before, of work. It's so nice. Um, another thing that I um, want to talk about with this collection is that like, it just, the, the way that, and I kind of talked into before, the relatability of like, each story like each story feels like the same world like even even I was I felt like there's um a suburban quality with it where I'm like I feel like everyone could live in the same like cul-de-sac cul-de-sac and um I say this as a suburb kid as a suburb yeah. kid like, I'm, I'm also from the suburbs and I think it's just like uh it's in my bones somehow right. the experience of growing up in suburbia you can't you can't shed it you can't shed it it's the always on you of suburbia <laughs> the, you can't wash it away but <laughs> in like but the thing with suburbia as us suburban kids know is that like it feels mundane but there's like craziness happening behind every household there and like there's 80 billion stories it's it it's a uh, <laughs> we were talking about Mary Louise Parker earlier and I'm gonna bring in a weeds reference <laughs> it's the it's the theme song of weeds the little boxes on the hillside it's a little it's it really is it's like yeah there's there's houses that all look the same but with different stories happening there what do they used to say i feel like in school they would be like you never know what's happening behind uh, every door it was like a safety video for like uh, i don't know some dark but like <laughs> dark, it's very dark it's very dark that was like a dark thing but like that's what this feels like too not the darkness i mean a little bit dark but like the the there's there's these stories behind all these doors in these yeah this fictional sure. suburb I've created for the <laughs> characters. But, yeah, um, I feel like there's a kind of stereotype of suburbia as, um, you know, repressed and mundane or ordinary. Mm. And um, to me, that was not my experience of it at all in the sense that there was a lot going on. People did have um, sometimes very hilarious things going on, sometimes yeah. really tragic things going mm. on. And um, uh once you got to know people and learned yeah their interiority um it was uh really kind of a shocking diversity of experiences that were being collected there so um one of my kind of um i don't know aims as a writer i think is to talk about the drama of ordinary life that mm -hmm. like there's nobody who's like you should be so lucky as to have an extremely boring life but very very few people do <laughs> and uh so a lot of the people in you know my stories are just i don't know yeah middle class people in the in the suburbs who go to work and come home but that doesn't mean that their lives are simple and uncomplicated or that they don't have you know tremendous richness of like emotions and experiences that we can write about well it's also and i feel like a lot of the crowd for like this book will be people who have maybe like not the stereotypical ordinary life because i feel like there is that kind of dichotomy of people with ordinary lives wanting adventure or people with adventurous lives wanting the ordinary and yeah. like i feel like there's you balance those two very well in this where like there's people who have crazy stuff going on, but they're searching for like stability or yeah. people who have very ordinary st stable lives searching for like- they're Right, trying to blow it up. <laughs> blow it up, blow it up. And like yeah. there's, and you, yeah, no, you talk about that very well in your story. And I wanna know like, how, how do you not, do you feel like a personal sway in there yourself? Like, do you feel like, oh, this is something I'm searching for 
while through writing this? Uh, I think it's probably um, a little bit of all of that, you know, in, mm. in my day-to-day -day life. There's a little bit in me that wants a quieter life, and there's a little bit in me that wants to blow things up, and there's a little right. bit of me that would join a cult if it seemed like a nice place. And, mm. you know, that's, I mean, thank goodness I have this outlet of putting things in stories because then I can, um, I can uh, explore all of these possible futures in the stories and I don't have to misbehave quite so much in my regular I life to like because <laughs> I, I was gonna say you can come join me at the Scientology building let's go they're <laughs> always go. looking for people <laughs> uh, no it's and no that I mean like yeah there's was it did it writing it these stories oh, I can't speak I'm so sorry <laughs> did writing these stories make you feel like or bring up anything to the surface in that way and like you re-examining maybe not even your specific life but how you see other people living their lives like see you know behind some closed doors there you mm -hmm. don't give me you don't have to give me any specifics I don't want you yeah. or friends to be like well, wait I, <laughs> yeah my friend Tom let me tell you what I learned <laughs> about him that guy is a mess yeah, no I'm kidding a, uh, mm -hmm. I, I I think what I um I think what I've realized is um, I, I just really don't seek to villainize people or mm -hmm. find them particularly heroic. Like most people are, you know, a cocktail of good and bad qualities. And a lot of it is relational. Like this is another thing that I find endlessly fascinating. Like you can see someone who seems really together at work, mm -hmm. but their home life is a mess or vice versa, or they're, um, they're very good like spouse or partner, but they're not very good at, at some other thing. And um, I guess I, I I'm, I'm endlessly fascinated by those kind of intersecting kind of spider web relationships that we have and how you can be one person with your parents and another person with your workplace and another person with your child and um, that we all contain these multitudes, I guess, I think is, right. um, it just makes people super interesting to, to write about. And I mean, I'm really drawn to writing through human curiosity. And to me, it's kind of like sanctioned gossip, you know, like getting to write these stories is like imagining the kinds of things that you would, uh, you would talk about behind someone's back, but here it's like allowed because it's my work. <laughs> so what you're saying is, this is, this is your outlet for gossiping it is 100% <laughs> I mean now it makes you want to like I feel like I'm going to go to like a salon and be like did you hear about this story and th now that's how I'm going to uh -oh. gossip now I have 100% written stories that were based on gossip that my hairdresser told me yes. and I'm also a compulsive eavesdropper so anything <laughs> that somebody says in a coffee shop is fair game to me like oh, yeah. be careful what you say out in the world because there can be writers you know lurking preparing exactly. to harvest your material <laughs> like beware of writers I feel like yes. that's <laughs> a that's a lesson we should all learn yes oh, we're 100%. <laughs> If, if uh, these books haven't taught us anything, it's that <laughs> beware of these writers. Um, no, that, I mean, yeah, you have to like, and that's the thing too, like you have to, would you say you have to have like an ear open at any time for these stories? Cause like, it may be not these specific stories but stories in general where you're like, do you think you're like not eavesdropping but like your, your perception of things is kind of more heightened as a writer yeah. now seeing like stories everywhere. I think that is a good quality for for a writer to have. To be mm -hmm. Sure, I um I went to um a writing program. I studied with Johnson, who you know he's a brilliant writer. But Jesus is son and a bunch of other great books. Oh, did I freeze? Um, yeah, you froze for a second. I'm. Well, I edit that out. Um, could you repeat that? 
Okay. Yeah. Um, I uh, definitely think there's something about like a quality of attentiveness in, in writers that, um, that can be really helpful. So one, one of my teachers in school was uh, Dennis Johnson, who's an amazing writer. He wrote Jesus' Son and uh, mm -hmm. a bunch of other great books. Anyway, he used to talk about when he was writing, he became sticky to the world, like he would go out into the world and and things would stick to him, like passing conversations, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the cloud cover, uh, just the way that people look, he became sticky. Mm -hmm. And I always loved that image because I sort of pictured him like with like tons of post-it notes like stuck all over him. Um, but I do think that's true that when your mind is in that mode, you can become a kind of collector or curator of, of human moments and you mm -hmm. become really um, observant of them and you kind of uh, treasure them. Like to me, it's not like, it, I don't want it to sound like I'm uh, being satirical about it or that it's just a transaction. To me, it's like, it's an impulse to love and record the like foibles of, of people and the funny mm -hmm. things that people say and the strange situations that people can get themselves into. And so I, I collect those uh, in a notebook or a file on my computer or just inside my head. And then when it comes time to write a story, I will sometimes take like two or three different elements from completely different situations. So one thing I overheard in a coffee shop combined with one thing that my grandmother once told me about her childhood combined with an image of a woman that I saw sitting on the bus and I put those three things together and through the juxtaposition of them uh, a story somehow emerges and I'm, it's always a surprise to me but mm -hmm. I love the sense of discovery of that of what happens when you put these different items together in one place. It seems like kind of like being a private eye you're like <laughs> you're just observing things and putting pieces together and coming up with the you're like it's like the um what is you know those pictures where it's like blurry but you have to like unfocus your eyes to see it mm -hmm. yeah it's like one of those and I mean I feel like that's a beautiful quality and you should go into investigative journal or investigative <laughs> work now be a private eye and I that's would your... love that I'm gonna get a fedora and yes. uh really go for it <laughs> a long uh jacket and mm -hmm. Oh, I love it. I love this. I love this journey for you. And I'm glad we went on this together to get here. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> um, we have to wrap up soon, but I had my last thing for you um, is out of these, like out of all of these stories, did you have a favorite to either a favorite one that you either um, loved while you were writing or looked back on and said, wow, I, this one is like, this one is the one I, just not even love the most, but just like really am proud of myself that I came up with this story. I don't know if I said that the right way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> such a nice question. I usually um, only see the flaws in my own work. So it's kind of hard for me to, mm -hmm. to answer that. Um, there so is, you're, a real, uh, you're a real writer then is what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> They're just, all you're... terrible. Nobody should read them. That's <laughs> no my message to them. listeners. Yeah. <laughs> we actually had to steal this book from your computer to get it out there is what I, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah I think there's the first story in the book um is called the point of no return and it's the one that you were talking about about these two women who sort of go in and out of each other's lives and mm -hmm. um I I did like the way that it came out and the way that it does flirt with like that those qualities of strangeness that you mm -hmm. that you mentioned uh, earlier it becomes almost like a a fairy tale 
and mm. at the end and a, and a tragic romance and I I was happy with how it managed to go into those dimensions without being like super fantastical it still has mm. elements of that and I, I was sort of interested and surprised by myself when when that happened so I I liked that and the original title of the story was quarantine <laughs> And then I had to change it when the book came out because between the time when I wrote it mm. and the time that this book came out, quarantine has taken on a completely different uh, meaning and resonance yeah. for, for all of us. So like, you know, no stories, like they don't stay the same, even right. if the words in them are the same, they carry different meanings. So that was also a kind of instructive thing for me to learn. You can never predict what's going to happen in the world in the space of just a few short years. Well, I feel like there is definitely a link between that story I mean what has happened in the past year and a half with like you know just how we how we contact and you know keep in touch with each other too yeah isolation and how you connect with people over social mm -hmm. media those are big themes in the story and they wound up you know being hugely important for for all of us I, I didn't know right. about Zoom otherwise I might have written the whole story about Zoom but as it is it's mainly focused around social media and right. how it keeps these two women connected off and on over many years and like I mean the amount of people in the past year and a half that I've reconnected with over social media it's it, it, yeah no this your your story is very timely it's very <laughs> you wrote it exactly when you needed to and that's <laughs> and that's fate that's honestly that's fate right there um no Alex this has been so much fun to talk to you here it's been and lovely like, thank you for the been, great questions no thank you for um coming on and you know letting me Super I, fun. We're, the reason we brought up really Billy Crudup before was because we were talking about how I'm the I'm the almost famous kid who's following the you're my Billy Crudup is what I'm saying okay. you're <laughs> that for me and it's an honor to be your Billy Crudup my life's great greatest privilege <laughs> you know what and you're and i'm happy to give that to you um no this has been fantastic and your book is so good and you should just be so happy and proud that we stole that from your computer and force force it to come out um no it's such good work and Thank listeners you. go out and buy this book um by the time this podcast will be out it'll be on sale um the publishing date is the 27th right that's right. So a week from today. No. Mm -hmm. Yes, a week from today. Wow. Yes. We're recording wow. on the 20th of July. So mm -hmm. it's a week from today. This book will be out and you'll see it on our um, front podcast display shelf at the bookstore. So go on by, flip through it, buy it, buy it. And you know, <laughs> read, a, read, a, read a story every day and, you know, just really get in that world. And um yeah just love it and the cover is also really great too yeah i love yeah. the cover yeah i feel really happy with it and it's it's very striking in more ways striking. than one <laughs> i feel like a lot of people will be, look at it and be like oh my god what is that that sunshine that's coming from this cover it's, <laughs> yeah uh, it's yeah, I think it's it's, gonna... it's a it's bright yellow cover and I got it in the middle of like darkest uh January then they, they <laughs> sent me the mock-up and it was like a you know dark time in general like dark mm -hmm. because it was winter dark because right. it was the pandemic dark mm -hmm. because it was you know around January 6th which yeah. was a insurrection day and uh yeah. I was just like wow I'm really happy to have this uh literal bright spot that is my my book and the, its cover I mean it feels like it's uh you know, what are those lamps the sun lamps that you're supposed to get yes, during the a sad lamp. <laughs> 
it's a my sad book lamp. Is, a, is a sad lamp for your soul <laughs> it's it's beautiful and i think that that's what a better way to what a better way to wrap up everything about this book than that let's put it let's i'm gonna write that in like a sharpie on the cover <laughs> Please do. I'm, i will i will no um thank you again uh the book um we want what we want by alex Oline is now currently on sale go grab a copy and really just have a great time with all these stories. Um, Alex, do you have anything you would like to say to the independent bookstore community before we go? Oh, I, I'd love to say, you know, as Ted Lasso says, I appreciate you, <laughs> appreciate you so much. Oh, I've, I've spent so many like happy, happy hours in independent bookstores. Mm -hmm. I've had the privilege of meeting a lot of um, independent booksellers mm -hmm. uh, who do incredible hand selling, like when I've been on book events and they're mm -hmm. just always like the best and smartest readers and uh, just like truly a delight to talk to them. Like booksellers are the best read people and and I always pick up great recommendations from them. So thank you all so much for all that you do to support writers. No, really appreciate man. it. No, thank you for that. Thank you for your books. And honestly, it's like, it's such a, what's the word I'm looking for? A codependent relationship. We're <laughs> in the best we, way. Codependent in the best way. In the best way. <laughs> we're, we're co there's, this is a good codependency. <laughs> we're like, we wouldn't, we wouldn't have anything to, any amazing things to sell if it wasn't for your books. And it's just like, we love selling them. I mean, that's the one thing about, I feel like every bookseller can agree on. And like bookseller, librarian, I, librarians are in the bookselling family. I want to put that out there. For but sure. like, they just love we just love books and we love selling a good book it's so nice it's such a nice feeling so thank you for giving us one of those books to sell and to the listeners thank you for coming back to listen and you know thank you for supporting your local independent bookstore as well and just have a great and rest great rest of your beautiful day and go do something nice like go buy a book <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Skylight Books podcast series. Please don't forget to visit our website at skylightbooks.com and make sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for more author talks and bookseller conversations. You can find us on Podbean, iTunes, and Spotify. Stay safe and healthy, and we hope to see you back in our store soon.